Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Uh, a couple quick things going on. First of all, uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, the first Sunday in March, we go to new service times. 9.30, 11.15, that allows us two uh, services in the morning with a little more time in between because if you were here at the 10 o'clock, which you obviously weren't, uh, almost every seat is full and it's not even Family Sunday like it will be next week. So uh, we need to spread, spread that time out to allow some people to get in and out. And then also we're moving our third service essentially to a 6 p.m. slot on Sunday nights. And so, yeah, all right, several people who cannot come to church right now will be able to uh, just by doing this one move. And so, so uh, we're quickly anticipating adding a fourth service after that, uh, but we need to go ahead and make this change to get that evening slot out of the way and so we can staff appropriately for that. So that's coming right up. And then also the first Monday and the second Monday in March, we have our Discover the Journey class. We're doing this whole series called Get in the Game, and our hope is that this Discover the Journey class will blow the doors off and we'll just pack it out. We haven't even been announcing it, and we already have three or four families signed up for it. So uh, we just came out of another one a month uh, ago where we had, uh, I think it was uh, 12 or 14 people or something uh, commit to be partners of the church, and they're already serving. They're already out there at the coffee bar. They're already out there doing their thing. They're already back here serving with with the the computer area and stuff. So I love it. Get in the game. That's what it's all about. Uh, So uh, that's what I've got going on. I'm going to pray and then get right into the message today. So let's just ask the Holy Spirit to breathe through this time, all right? So Lord, we just come before you right now. Holy Spirit, we do ask you to breathe through this time right now. Open up our hearts. Lord, we want to leave this place different than when we came in. We want you to, uh, we let down the guard of our heart right now to allow you to come in. You to come in to rearrange the pieces, to rearrange our thinking, to change our lens even if need be. Lord, I pray that, that uh, as a result of this time, we would look back and we would have a brand new revelation of who you are and how you operate. I know that's a bold prayer, but I believe it's going to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, get in the game week four. Uh, in, several years ago in Pennsylvania, there was a guy who went to a flea market. He wanted to go find a picture frame. He just you know, had, wanted to go find a cheap picture frame. He had a picture he wanted to put in it. He goes to a flea market and he buys this picture frame for $4. And when he gets it home, he starts taking out the backing and stuff because he wants to put a new picture in. And what he finds in the backing of it is a copy of, original copy of the Declaration of Independence. There was only four. That makes the fourth one in private hands. There's only 24 copies uh, total anyway. And so it went to auction. I believe it sold for something like $2.4 million. How do you guys know that was a pretty good bargain, wasn't it? That was a pretty good find as a flea market. Now you guys are motivated to go out to flea markets, right? Uh, So this, and what I want to talk to you about today, I actually have about three sermons that I'm putting into one, but I'll get it done. Uh, What I want to talk about today is determining the value of something is incredibly important. And it's important because whatever value we place on something determines the amount of effect it can actually have on our life. If we have a very little value on something, it's going to have very little effect on our life. But if we place something with great value, it affects how we live around that. It affects how we value that, how we interact with that. It affects how we protect that or how we participate in that. And so determining the value of something is very, very important. And there's an illustration that Jesus uses in Scripture to tell us how we should value the kingdom of God. 
Okay, and you may have seen this before, but here it is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys the field. And it goes on, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So get the story that Jesus is telling. He's telling a story about a guy who's walking home from work probably one day, and instead of taking the road, he decides to take a shortcut through somebody else's property, so he's a trespasser. And so he goes through, and as he's walking on somebody else's property, for whatever reason, he uncovers, maybe, maybe the rain washed something up that was buried, he uncovers a hidden treasure. And he looks at this treasure, and he's like, this is worth more, way more than all of my possessions put together. This thing is worth way more, and it just so happens that the field is for sale. And so without telling anybody, again, Jesus is not commenting on the ethics of this man. Uh, it's simply talking about how worth the treasure is. He buries it up, doesn't tell anybody, goes home, sells everything that he's got, and takes the money, and he, with everything he's got, he buys a field. Now, on the outside looking in, that looks pretty stupid, doesn't it? I mean, selling all you got for a field, but he knows that there's a treasure in that field that no one else knows about. And so he sells everything. The Bible says, out of his sheer joy, how many of you guys know that would be a joyful thing to do? If you know it's there and you know it's worth way more than you got, it would not matter. I can sell my car. I can sell my house. I can sell it all, and I would have no strings attached knowing because I'm getting something of great value. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, that it is so worth something. It's so valuable to us. It ought to be so valuable to us that it is of no sacrifice even for us to give all that we have to buy it. Do you guys see the picture? Out of our sheer joy, if the kingdom of God is worth so much to us, it would be even no sacrifice at all, and in fact, a joy for us to give up all of our life to jump into the kingdom of God. Can you see the picture that he's painting here? Now, at first, it looks like these are kind of twin illustrations that he's saying the same thing twice, just with different illustrations. But I don't think that's what it's saying. Let's look again, and let's look at this scripture again, and I've, I found something here a while back, and you can, you know, disagree with it or have your own interpretation, but I think this is uh, something that's pretty neat when you look at this, okay? So let's read it again, and let's see what he's saying. It looks like he's saying two things, the same thing twice, but let's, let's look at it. The first one, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. So the kingdom of heaven is what? It's a treasure, okay? It's the, it's the thing that this guy is seeking after, okay? The, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure, and he sells everything to buy the treasure. Now, the second one, it says the kingdom of heaven is what? A merchant. You see, if he was saying the same thing twice, in the second illustration, the kingdom of heaven would be what? The pearl. But it's not. The kingdom of heaven is now represented as the merchant. So what's going on here? I believe what's actually happening here is that in the first one, the kingdom is what is being sought after. And we are the ones who find the treasure hidden in the field. And for our joy, it's a joy for us to give everything we've got to God and to go and follow after him. But the second one, it's representing the kingdom of heaven as the one seeking something to buy. I believe it's representing Jesus seeking after us. And listen to this, in his sheer joy, he gives up, God gives up everything to purchase us. 
He gives up everything. Now, think about the weight of that. If both of those are saying the same things, just now it's flip-flopped, that it's not even really a sacrifice, even though hey, some of you guys are thinking, man, what are you talking about? It's not a sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed everything on the cross. Yes, but I'm telling you, Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What if Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to give everything for you and he saw it as a joy to do that and he pursued you with everything? That's the picture being painted there. What an amazing thing. How many of you guys are so thankful that you've been found in Christ? I'm so thankful that I have been found, that he sought after me with everything, and that I have been found, that the divine, holy God would somehow see me as a treasure worth giving everything for, worth seeking after with everything, that he sees me at that great value, that it's not even, it's a, not even a sacrifice, it's a joy, and he's seeking after us just like we're to seek after him. It's a joy to be found in him, and it's a joy to find the kingdom. A few months ago, uh, one of our dogs ran away. Not my dumb dog, the other one. And uh, didn't have any tags or any, any identification on it. And so uh, he ran away. He got out of the fence, and, and so we started driving up and down the road. We could not find him anywhere. We start posting stuff on Craigslist, on swap shops. We're making flyers. We're doing everything we can, driving all over the place. We cannot find the dog. The dog is just gone. So then pretty soon nightfall happens and I'm just like, this isn't good. The dog has not come back and now it's nighttime. He would normally have just come back. And so day one happens. Then day two, we're doing the same thing. Nothing. Day three, day four, day five. Eventually, I kind of had to sit down with the kids and say, okay, guys, it's time for us to face reality here, okay? We've been doing everything we can and the dog is not coming back. And uh, one of the lowest points, the saddest points, is my daughter, Lindsay. She's seven. It's dark one night, and she goes out on the back deck, and she's just looking out into the darkness. Duke! Like calling out to him and just waiting for a response and no response. And she sat out there for a long time just calling out into the darkness. And I'm like, ah, oh, man. Just, I just had no idea how heartbroken everybody would be just because we just felt helpless. And then one day... Uh, several days into this, this uh, through a series of, of semi-little miraculous events, we, we had somebody call and say, I think I found a dog that looks like yours. We're about seven miles away, but I think this dog is, is matching the description. And, and so we all pile in. We're driving over. They said, but, but the thing is, this dog will just bark and growl at anybody and won't let anybody near. And we're thinking, that's not like our dog, you know, so it's, maybe it's not. And so we go up, and, and the dog has been really guarded. And so when we step out, first he's on alert, and then when he sees it's us, he just like melts and just runs up. And I'm thinking, what kind of adventure have you had the last week, you know? And, and we actually had a picture, I think. This is us bringing him home right there. That's, that's the actual picture. And he was just so happy to be there. Now, and I was sitting there thinking, if we had that much joy over finding a dog, how much more joy does God have when he finds us? It blows me away. How many of you guys are thankful that you've been found in Christ, that you've been found? I can honestly say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now, thank God, I have been found. I was blind, but now I can see. I, I'm so thankful to be found in him. And, and so uh, our mission around here is reach the lost, equip the found. We talked last week about the word presence and how we expect miracles to happen in God's presence. This week I want to talk about people and how we reach the lost 
and, and how we have real relationships with other people. That's kind of our culture around here. That's what the culture we want to have around here. Why? Because that's the heart of God. God's heart is for people. God's heart is going all after people, whether it's lost or whether it's the found. His heart is for people. And so our heart ought to also be for people. But now that you've been found, here's what I want to talk to you about today. It's time for us to act like a found person. So many of us are still acting like a lost person. And I don't mean sin and all that type of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just our identity. We are not living in the joy of being a found person. We're not living in the joy. What does it look like to be a found person? Philippians chapter uh, 3 verse 9 says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So I want to give you, I've got two points today. I didn't say it was short. I said I had two points, okay? Uh, so I've got two points today about how found people act, okay? And the first one is, is this. Found people find people. There's a story in John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. So this whole exchange that I just talked about of, of the kingdom of heaven seeking after Philip, Jesus sought him, found him in the joy, and then Philip, in response for the joy that was set before him, gave up everything and, and was found, and he followed after Jesus. And, and then it says, now, uh, he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and, Philip, or Andrew and Peter, and Philip, what did he do? Philip found Nathaniel. So now that Philip has been found, he goes out and he finds somebody else. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Church, let me say it strong. Church does not exist. Our church does not exist for itself. Our church exists for those who are yet to come. And I'm not talking about just people from other churches. I'm talking about for the lost. That's why we exist. So when I say reach the lost and equip the found, it's equipping the found so we can see who we are in God so that we can go out there and reach the lost and go find other people. That's why we exist at a church. Journey Church should not be a revolving door for dissatisfied Christians. Come on. We should be a hospital for the law. We should be a place of equipping. Not, I mean, we, we ought to be able to uh, have a place of rescue. So that story we looked at at the beginning of the series where Jesus calls the disciples in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought in their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I want you to see that this is the life that Jesus offered Peter. He said, I want you to catch men, which basically means now that you're found, I want you to find people. That's the life he offered Peter. And if Peter wasn't doing that, then he wasn't following Jesus. He wasn't following in the life that Jesus offered to him, okay? So the Great Commission is not the great suggestion. The Great Commission is for every single believer. So we ought to walk around with our eyes wide open saying, having the heart of God towards people, not condemning people. How many you guys know Jesus didn't bring condemnation to people, did he? never brought condemnation. He brought the good news. We ought to have our eyes open, looking with the heart of God towards people bringing good news wherever we go, because found people find people. Now, th this may shock you, and I know there, like I said, there's tension in any truth. There's two sides in, in one sense that kind of pull against each other, but this may shock you. It seems like from Scripture that God is more interested in finding lost people than keeping found people. Well, there's a story, there's a series of stories in Luke chapter 15. It says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? 
And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. So we can reject that story, we can ignore it, we can do whatever, we can twist it around, or we can say, I want to have the heart of God. It's not that God doesn't care about the 99. It's that God is telling the 99 what to care about. He's saying, here's where my priority is. It's reaching those that are lost. Most, most infighting that happens in any family or any group of people or any church is when we get selfish and we look inward at my needs instead of looking outward at being able to give out all the time, 100%. Okay, so God, this is God's heart. Why is this God's heart? It's because people have an expiration date. Literally, people have an expiration date. What if you could see the day that someone's going to expire on their forehead as you walked around and you could see the date. Maybe it's today for somebody. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's 100, you know, 100 months from now or 10 years from now. Or, but you could actually see the date. Would that motivate you? Here's what I want you to know. God knows the date. That's why his heart is for people. And even though we can't see it, we need to respond in like kind because people have an expiration date. We've got to have the heart of God. Why did Jesus come? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man came seeking that pearl and is willing to give everything for it. You say, lost? Isn't that offensive to call people lost? Why are you calling them lost? No. You see, I don't think it's offensive at all. If something is lost, that means it has value or worth. There's a difference between something being lost and forgetting about something. One time, have you guys ever played that white elephant gift thing at Christmas time where basically you take a bunch of junk from your house, you wrap it up, and you give it to people? Like, who thought of that? So one time I won <laughs> this uh, creepy clown statue. Like, thank you for introducing this spirit into my house. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'll keep that. I threw it in a closet. Uh, totally forgot about it. How do you guys know that had no value to me whatsoever? That, that had no value to me. That had a negative value to me. That was like affecting me negatively. So one day I found it and I re-gifted it. It was awesome. So, uh, but that's, that's different than something being lost. Let me tell you what lost looks like. My mom one day was walking out in her gravel driveway, a little, bunch of little gravel, and she lost the diamond to her ring somewhere in the gravel. We're all out there finding, like, trying. That, how do you guys know that's lost, isn't it? I mean, that's extreme value. The kids are all out there. Hey, can I keep it if I find? Shut up, kid. What are you talking about? That actually happened. No, you're not keeping this diamond. And so we never found it. But how do you guys know it's it's still lost, isn't it? Lost has value. Okay, so it's not it's not saying it's not offensive to call someone lost. It means that there's something worth pursuing there. And so that's why we say we reach the lost. Now, the second point is this, found people fellowship. Found people fellowship. So we have, we reach the lost and we have real relationships with other people. What does that word fellowship mean? Well, it's a church word. It's a Bible word. It's not one we normally use in everyday life. So we've got to put some definition to it, all right? So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This word fellowship it means communion. It means sharing. It means willing contribution. Here's the thing about this word fellowship. The only way I know to describe it is that fellowship is deeper than friendship. Friendship is great, but fellowship is a much deeper word than, than even having deep friendships with people. Fellowship is a much deeper thing. And so uh, most people do not, ever, do not really ever experience fellowship because they settle for friendship. 
Now, I'll, I'll get into that, and I'll explain what I mean here in just a second. A lot of people get offended at church because they can't find friendship at church. It's because they're looking for the wrong thing. Friendship is great. That'll come along with it. But if all you're looking for is friendship, you may not find it. Because sometimes friendships in, in the kingdom of God start with fellowship. So let me define what fellowship means here. Uh, fellowship is connection with people through the spirit, not just the soul. See, the soul is the mind, will, and the emotions. When you have a good friendship with people, that means that somewhere you've connected with your mind, you may think alike, you may, think, you may agree on a lot of things, maybe with your will, maybe the things you decide in life and your boundaries and the way you do life, your emotions, you click, maybe you, your personalities click. That is great, that's just simply operating on a soul level. That's where friendships are. That's where they stay is on a soul level. And so, you know, Becca and I laugh because we hear all the time, like, I, I just really wish I could just have friends like I did, ha I had back in high school. Really? Like, that's your standard? Like, I'm sure that was a great, real mature friendship you had there, you know? And so that's what, what we end up doing in, in the body of Christ. Sometimes we're, we're looking for just a soul connection. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and we should have those connections. But if that's all you're looking for, you're not experiencing the deep word of fellowship that the Bible talks about, which is a connection through the spirit and not just through the, the soul, all right? So Graham Cook says it this way. He says, the way you love people in life determines how far you go in the kingdom. And so what I want to talk about with just this little time remaining is what do kingdom relationships really look like? Because they operate completely different than other relationships in the world. And if you don't get this, there's going to be turmoil throughout all of your life in how you interact with believers, okay? So I'm going to attempt to explain to you how kingdom relationships look different than worldly relationships and how many times we bring worldly expectations into kingdom relationships and we're always disappointed. And I believe I'm on the front side of a revelation with this, so I don't have it all figured out yet, so I'm, I just want to go ahead and release it to you and just see if it gets any traction with anybody, all right? So uh, I'm still working on this, but I think there's something here as I was meditating on that this week. And so here we go. I want to talk about the difference between these type of relationships and what it looks like to have kingdom relationships. First John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship, there's that word, with one another. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what the scripture is saying is that fellowship, that deep word that the Bible talks about, fellowship happens in the light. So in the light of what? Well, I believe as I was zooming out and studying all of these in context uh, throughout the, the theme of scripture, uh, in the light, in this scripture, is talking about the light of the new covenant. In other words, it's the light of the way God sees you now in the kingdom. When you operate in that kind of light, that's how you have fellowship with one another. When you can operate in the way, in the same way that God sees you, that's how light happens. Now, let me explain what that looks like. So it, it looks like seeing people through the new covenant lens instead of the old covenant lens. So what does that look like? How many of you guys have ever heard... Uh, this thing before that sometimes God doesn't give you what you want, but God will give you what you need. How you guys have ever had that happen before? You had something you really, really wanted, okay? And, and then all of a sudden you didn't get what you really wanted, but then you got something from God and you're like, okay, I see how this is really what I did need. I, I wanted something that really wasn't even what I needed. And sometimes God will give you what you, not what you want, but what you need. 
And if you don't yield to that, sometimes the reverse will happen. That God won't give you what you need. God will actually go ahead and give you what you want anyway. You hear what I'm saying? So sometimes God won't give you what you need. He will actually tap out and go ahead and just give you what you want anyway. And if you don't have discernment to know when that's happening, you'll end up in a place you don't want to be. Let me explain a place in Scripture where that actually happened. And, and it happened with the Israelites, the people of God. They, God wanted to have a healthy relationship with them. They did not want to have a healthy relationship with God. What they really wanted was they wanted to have a king who would rule over them, just like all the other nations around them. Instead of God being their go-to, they wanted somebody else to come in and bring authority in their life, just like all the other people. And so God kept saying no. Through the prophet Samuel, this is not right. You, you say you want this. I know you don't want the. This is not what you need. But they kept wanting it. They kept wanting it. And finally, God says through the prophet Samuel, fine, go ahead and give the people what they want. But tell them it's going to be a problem and see what happens. So that's where we find the story in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7 and 9. It says, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to how crazy this is. God is telling Samuel to go ahead and obey the voice of the people. Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And so that's what Samuel does next. He says, okay, guys, here's what a king will look like. He will bring fear and he'll take over, he'll bring control, he'll take your sons and your daughters and he'll force them to work. And he begins to lay out the fear and control that a king would bring in their life. And they said, that's okay, we want it anyway. How many of you guys have done that? Just stupidly like, I don't care, I know the consequences, but I'm just gonna plow ahead anyway. That's what they did. And so that leads to Samuel anointing Saul, anointing David, and it was a mess from there on out. You had good kings and bad kings, mostly bad kings the whole time, and they lived under fear and control from that point on, and it was a, not a good thing, okay? So God wanted a healthy relationship that they wanted a king. So here's the point. When you reject healthy kingdom relationships, all you have left are relationships that have to operate under fear and control. Whenever we, have that, whenever we reject healthy relationships, we can only operate by fear and control, and that works itself out in different ways. Sometimes it's just being tight-fisted and saying, I, I just want my way all the time. Sometimes it's like hanging on to being so guarded, like I'm so fearful that I can't let anybody in. And so when you don't have a healthy relationship, you have to be guarded, you have to control every movement, you have to control the way it works. That's life under the Old Covenant type system. So the Old Covenant would ultimately played itself out, or the Old Testament played itself out in fear and control. But the new covenant played itself out in love and freedom. How do you guys like the words love and freedom a whole lot better than fear and control? Yeah, that's healthy relationship, love and freedom. So here's the Old Testament system. Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, God was the first one to kill anything. God killed the animal and clothed them with the skin of that animal. And what was he saying right then and there that whenever you sin, you have to pay for sin. And from there on out, there was a sacrificial system that any time they sinned, they had to pay for sin. The law said, if you sin, you have to do something to pay for sin. That was the system. It was 
So then it operated in fear-based relationships. So people were so scared of God, they were afraid to go in God's presence. They were afraid to go to the mountain of God. They were afraid to go into the Holy of Holies. They were afraid because they were afraid that I have sin, and if I have sin, I'm gonna be punished for my sin. Now, fear-based relationships look like this. Fear leads to control. Whenever you have someone who's controlling something, better trace it back, you will find a fear of something somewhere. If you have a spouse that's controlling, it's probably some fear of something in their past that it's going to happen again, so they control. If you have kids, how many of you guys have ever had kids that threw a fit trying to control something? It's because they have a fear that they're going to miss out on something they think they need or they want. It's based on some fear. If you have a boss that's controlling, it's, there's some fear in there. Maybe it's an ego thing that they'll look bad. Maybe it's, they're afraid that if they don't control everything that it'll fall apart. We, I've experienced that before, you know? And if you have, like, uh, um, if you're constantly trying to control your image to people, better bet there's a fear somewhere. If you're always trying to be your own PR person and control the press releases of your life and the, the brand that you have put out there, uh, better trade, there's a fear somewhere, okay? And, and so, because fear leads to control. Now, here's what new covenant relationships, here's what kingdom relationships looks like. And this is the bright side, okay? I just painted a pretty dark picture, but here's the good stuff, all right? 1 John 4, verse 18, here it is. There is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. If you operate in new covenant kingdom relationships, the, the relationships of love there will be no fear. What a relationship that would be. What a relationship that would be with God. What a relationship that would be with your spouse. What a relationship that would be with friends. If you had no fear because of love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For li Listen to this next line. Hang on to this. For fear has to do with punishment. Hold on to that word punishment. It's a weighty word that it's gonna, we're, we're going to have to unpack that here in just a second. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the old covenant was, you know what? Sin happens, and I've got to pay for sin. The new covenant, grace, was Jesus paid for my sins. Is anybody thankful that Jesus has paid for your sins? Jesus paid for my sins. So here, here we go. Now that you are found in Christ, which how many of you guys are so thankful to be found? Now that you are found in Christ, there is nothing that you can do anymore that you will ever be punished for. There's no sin that you can do that you will ever have a punishment for. Some of you guys are like, that's blasphemy. That, that doesn't sound right. I mean, no, that's the gospel. If you think God is in a bad mood towards you, if you think God is angry, God is not in a bad mood and God is not angry with you. Once you've been found in him, there is not one thing you can do that you will ever receive punishment for. Why? Because Jesus took all my punishment on the cross. That's the gospel message right there. Jesus took all my punishment. You are right now before God, because your spirit is made alive, if you are found in him, you are right now before God as you will exist for all eternity, minus the consequences of earth. Before God, you are as, as you will always be in heaven. God is not going to punish you in heaven. You are now as you will always be, minus the consequences of earth. Because God, when he looks at you, he is not going to punish you for sin. You're going to experience consequences of sin, but God is not going to punish you for sin because your sin was already taken care of on the cross. Come on, guys. You've got to get this on the inside of us because this is the good news right here. This is the good news. 
Somebody's going to get set free by hearing this this morning, all right? So here's the problem, or here's what we've got to catch on the inside of us. The way God deals with us is the very same way that he asks us and requires us to deal with other people. So if there's not one thing I could do that I'd ever be punished for, that's exactly how I have to see every other person in the kingdom. And yet how often when somebody does something wrong to us, we find a way to make them pay. Our spouse does something wrong to us, we find a way to make them pay. We find a way to punish them because they got to pay for their sins. That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not a healthy relationship in the kingdom of God. And you say, well, I'm not doing anything. You know that one of the worst forms of punishment is withholding something? Withholding love, withholding connection, withholding. That's one of the worst forms of punishment. And so what I'm saying, are you guys catching what I'm saying? There's a revelation to be had here that I cannot be punished because Jesus took my punishment and the same goes to you and to every single one of you. And that is how I have to interact. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not loving accountability. There is loving accountability and freedom and there are consequences for sin, but God is not mad at you. God is in a good mood towards you and God is not punishing you anytime you mess up. Somebody ought to thank God for that right there. Yes, that's the good news. And he asks us to deal with other people in the same way. Your kingdom relationships will only be as effective as your ability to understand this principle. You, it, otherwise, you will operate completely on worldly friendship rules and soulish rules. But the kingdom of God operates through the spirit. So that means when I see you, I see how you are in the spirit, not by the soul. And I treat you by who you are before God in the spirit, not through the soul. They may catch in this this morning, you got to see your spouse, not who they are in the soul, even though there are consequences, but you don't punish because you see them through the Spirit. That's the deep fellowship that we're talking about. And if God gives us authority, he only gives us authority to operate in the kingdom. So whenever we're operating in relationships out of fear and control, we are in unauthorized territory doing things outside of the kingdom, and those relationships will not be blessed. And we will experience the consequences of the world and of earth. But if we jump in the kingdom, we'll experience the consequences of kingdom relationship, which is love and freedom. This is so good if we can get this going in our lives. God, God's plan for our life is not that we would live in fear, but we would live in freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, it says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed formed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So we believe around here that biblical fellowship happens in the context, that kingdom relationships happens in the context of loving accountability and freedom. We're not, we're not to punish one another. We're, we're not to withhold love from one another. That's, we're not to be out of fear and control and holding on and controlling every movement. No, we, we have to operate out of kingdom relationships. And so here's where we are as a church. And so you see a lot of people wearing these Connect shirts throughout the day. Uh, there'd probably be 20 or 30 of us running around with these shirts on. Here's, the way, here's where we are as a church, and here's why I'm leading up to this point. Because up to this point in our church, we've kind of had just one way that we've allowed people to experience connection or fellowship outside of the Sunday morning. And that one way served its purpose for a time, but it was limited. 
And so what we want to do in light of this idea is we don't want to have fear and control and try to control everything. We want to have ultimate freedom and love for you guys to experience fellowship with one another. And so we're launching connect groups. Connect groups are a free market style connect group ministry. So what that means is if you want to start a group, you come up with an idea, you start it. And it's, it's you know, whatever it is. If you, you know, it could be a Bible study. It could be a book study. It could be, how many of you guys like fishing? Anybody like, okay, we won't have one of those, okay, because nobody liked that in the first two services either. Uh, but whatever it is, whatever your deal is, if you like riding bikes, if you like sewing, knitting, underwater basket weaving, I don't know, whatever it is, whatever your deal is, you provide the container for an opportunity for fellowship to happen. Now, it doesn't mean fellowship will happen. It just means that you're having a container for it to happen. And so we want to have freedom with loving accountability with that. So we want to blow the doors off of that and to offer all these things. Now, how do you do this? If you get online right now, journeykc.com slash groups, you'll see we have 20-something groups already. We haven't even launched this thing. 20-something groups we're launching today. We've got like 20-something groups already. And so that's without even just putting it out there because I know that God may have put on your heart something that God wants you to do. Part of this vision is to be able to equip you to live your purpose, which we'll talk about next week. Uh, but, but this is giving you freedom to do that. Now, as shepherds, God uh, charges us to keep watch over the flock. So what that means is, you know, even though there's a lot of freedom here, that doesn't mean there's ultimate freedom. We have to keep watch over the flock. So what does that mean? That means we're going to be vetting who the leaders are so you're not some wacko serial killer. Um, and then vetting content, because we're probably not going to have a Satanist connect group. It's probably not in the cards, okay? Uh, but we're going to keep watch over those things just to make sure it's in the right direction, you know? But other than that, we're going to have a lot of freedom and a lot of opportunities for fellowship. And so if you want to be a part of that, we, we have a simple process. You fill out an application, you get approved, and you show up at the leadership training that's happening this Thursday. Okay, so some of you guys, you need to pray about this, and that's fine. Uh, we will have more leadership training even as, as often as monthly. We're going to try to have these trainings so that you can get in the game. Our vision is to see 50 of these by the end of this year, and I think we're on the track to hitting it already. So we have made enormous progress so quick. All right, so I just want to encourage you guys with that because here's the thing. You may feel d- d- disconnected right now, and if you feel disconnected right now, God showed me this a while back. Immaturity says, I, uh, no one is pursuing me, so I feel disconnected. Maturity says, I feel disconnected, so I start pursuing people. And so what we want to do, and, and this is where you need to let God speak to you. Maybe you need to join a connect group. Maybe you need to find a group of friends. Maybe you need to do that. But pursue, pursue not just friendship, but pursue fellowship. And friendship will come. I promise you, friendship will come. Come. Would you guys stand up with me as we close? I've got one more thought, so don't check out, okay? I've got one more thought as we're closing. And it may be the most important thing that I've said all day. One more thought. My wife was reading a book a few weeks ago, and she told me about this earlier this week. Um, she said in this book, they were talking about how many times in relationships we keep a record of wrongs. How many of you guys do that? I'm, I got my hand up, Okay. We, we just naturally keep a record of wrongs. But love says, you know, the scripture says that love does not keep a record of wrongs. I mean, you guys are thankful that Jesus didn't keep a record of wrongs against you. So love does not keep a record of wrongs. And so in this book, it, it said, instead of keeping a record of wrongs in a relationship, what if we kept a record of rights? We forgot all about the wrongs that happened because we're so tempted to punish the wrongs. But what if we 
started to look for the rights because that's what God does in us. God could find plenty of wrongs, but God looks at us and he's like, that's that, it's like that pearl and it's willing, I'm, I'm just willing to give everything for it. I'm willing to give everything for it. So would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe this morning he's, he's challenging you to get connected in a brand new way and you're, it's as simple as joining a connect group or getting online. Maybe you got that nudge to start something where you've been on the sidelines and you need to get in the game. Or maybe you recognize some area of your life where you've not been operating under kingdom relationships. It's been more fear and control instead of love and freedom. Maybe you find yourself keeping the record of wrongs instead of record of rights. Take just a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now in whatever way that is. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you can continue to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to those briefly as we close up here. Maybe you have never experienced what I've described today of finding this treasure in a field and it being worth everything. But today, you just feel like God's got your number today. And you just feel like, I, I feel like I need to follow Jesus. I need to do what you're talking about today. I want you to know that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life because you and I couldn't pull that off. And he laid his life down on the cross and he took our punishment for all the sins that we committed. He took care of it right then and there so that there'd be nothing standing in the way of you and I having a right, healthy relationship before God. He rose from the dead and he simply invites us to follow him. So he invites us on this journey of following him. And all you have to do is say yes by faith and you'll receive all this grace from God that washes over every sin. There will be no barriers between you and God. The sin problem will be taken care of. God's not mad at you. God's in a good mood towards you right now. Maybe you're in this place and you don't know where you stand before God. You, you, you know, you've been in church a lot, but you just don't know where you stand. Today you can walk out of here and you can know that you're right before God. Maybe for whatever reason you once were following Jesus, but for whatever reason today you just know you're not right with God and you need to come back to the Father's house, as it were. You can do that today. I just need to know if we need to take a moment out of this service to pray for you. If you're any one of those people, would you just lift up your hand right now? All right, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Several hands have gone up. Several hands in all the other services too. Here's what we're going to do. The Bible says that what we believe, if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's how you start this whole deal. There's nothing magical in a prayer. There's nothing like that. It's just simply trying to put words to what you believe right now. And so I want to help you do that. And I'm going to help you I'm going to supply the words, but you got to supply the faith behind it, all right? So let's all pray this together. Let's say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking my punishment, and for wiping away my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead, and I confess that you're Lord of my life, that you're in charge of my life, and I receive grace by faith in the name of Jesus and I will follow you all the days of my life. And Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. Lord, that you saw us as something worth being, 
being sought after. Lord, we're so thankful for that. I pray that those who prayed that prayer today would understand that today is a brand new day. It, that, that the Bible says that the old life is gone and the new life has come. It's like you have a brand new DNA, spiritual DNA in, in you right now. The old life is forgotten and everything else is brand new from here on out. Lord, I pray that they, as they walk out of this place, experience the life of God that comes with following you. Lord, that they'd be encouraged that all of their sin is wiped away and that they have a right relationship with you right now. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Come on, let's celebrate Jesus one more time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.